I don't often go right from piano to this spot. Uh, long weekend. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Nelson. It's good to see you and be back with you after a week away with my family. Um, again, hello to all joining via live, uh, live stream. And I, I was just reflecting this morning how much I love the phrase in our opening prayer for Eastertide, where it says, because Jesus lives, we look for resurrection life among us. Um, reflecting on that, that, that in a large part is what we want to do during this teaching time, which we might as well just call story time. We're in a season of listening to our life as a church. In the past month or so, we've completed a, a church health assessment, uh, about 100 responses to that, like, well done, church. Um, it was really, really strong, and what a gift to, to receive all of those re reflections. Uh, we did this listening work to try to get a, as clear a sense as possible of who we are at present, where we're going, and what our needs are in terms of pastoral leadership moving forward. And we're embarking on a new a search for a new lead pastor. In all of this, one of the things that hasn't changed is our vision as a church. And we don't often do this, but we want to put this up. We often say the first part of it, that our mandate, the why that we exist, is to join God in the renewal of all things. But here's the entire vision statement. The vision that we share is to join God in the renewal of all things. And for us, this begins in our lives and neighborhood. It means seeing Vancouverites transformed into followers of Jesus, practicing his way, and becoming like him in every sphere of life. Our deepest desire is to be changed and to create change. To be changed in order to create change. And so as those seeking to embody and practice the way of Jesus, the essence of discipleship is change. It's dying and rising, that's the pattern. As Richard Rohr reminds us, we're saved by the death and resurrection. And the most important word in that phrase being and. First the death, and then trusting even this, little deaths, big ones, compounding ones, will lead to resurrection life. A friend shared a quote with me this past week from writer and teacher Meg Wheatley. Uh, she said, change is all there is. <laughs> so, mic drop, that is just what's going on. Sometimes if you're like me, for example, a quote like that can make you go, oof. I call it the oof effect. That's just a thing that I made up right now. We're like, yeah, that's so true, and I wish it wasn't. Change can be hard. Uh, like too, too much of it all at once is tiresome. I've sat with a lot of people over the past couple of years, you have too, no doubt, who've gone, undergone relentless change and are simply exhausted. Others among us, the weird ones, seem to thrive on change. I don't know who you all are, I know there's some of you out there. It's good for us to listen to each other wherever we land on the change welcoming uh, spectrum. Even more importantly, it, we need to notice what newness is emerging as we are being transformed, right? In ways large and small. So whether you're resistant to change or you're like, bring it on, doesn't matter. We listen to each other across that spectrum. But even more importantly, we look for resurrection life among us. And in order to look for resurrection life, sometimes we need to listen to one another and take some moments to do that. So this morning, we wanna collect some stories of change. 
And I wanna invite you to share a response or think of a possible response if you would like to share to one or more of the following questions. Where are you seeing change or shifts within yourself, spiritual, relational, vocational, whatever it may be? What is the pace of change felt like? Has it been slow, rapid, sudden? How have grief and loss played a role in your growth? And how might the Spirit be inviting you or us to create change in this season? So if one of those seems to have neon lights for you, stick with it and just reflect on that because I'm gonna go first. So a few months ago, uh, February 15th, it was a Tuesday morning. My normal rhythm on a Tuesday is to leave the house pretty early. At this point, Terry was still in school, so she heads out to Regent College on Tuesdays after dropping our, our daughter Adriana off at work. And so I leave at around 6.15, something like that. And this particular morning, I was out, heading out to South Surrey for a spiritual direction appointment. Uh, so to meet with my own spiritual director. And uh, it's a nice 45 minute commute. I like the space, I don't often commute, but uh, I don't mind it. So head out on the 99, head south. And I usually try to get to a Starbucks um, or somewhere out there because they don't have JJ and other things. And so um, with a journal, a pen in hand, and I just try to do some listening and collecting if I haven't had opportunity to do it prior to my session. And so I do that. And I sat there that morning and uh, I began to write some things down. And remember writing um, just this awareness that growing inside me that I want, and I think I might've shared this in a sermon not long ago, but this phrase that, one of the things I just wanna leave in the world is a sense that everyone in my sphere of influence would feel in their bones that it's okay not to be okay. I just want everyone to know that and to feel that emanating from, from the energy that I put into the world. Also, I wanna direct that same compassion towards myself. I want it to be okay for me to not be okay. And so then I wrote down in my journal, so I want this, I want it for other people, I want it for myself, but then I said, is it okay for a pastor to say, I'm not really loving my job right now? Oof effect. And it just, it, the, the tears began to fall unbidden. I'm like, I'm not planning on crying this morning while I'm journaling. That's not part of the rhythm, not part of the regular routine, but I could not hold them back. And it just eventually began to dawn on me that, oh, I am not in a great space. If I'm not loving my job right now, what's that all about? So I proceeded to my spiritual direction appointment where I kept crying and my spiritual director said at one point, he's just like, I'm really struck and I'm noticing the tears. And he said, there's a world in those tears. Tell me about that world. I'm like, oh my goodness, you wanna make me cry more. So they kept gushing, kept sharing. Oh, then I had booked um, an appointment with a friend of mine, a former uh, artisan person who happens to be a counselor now. So I had brunch with him about an hour after that down in South Surrey and so he goes, so, how are you? I'm like, okay, here we go again. And then I went and walked around Crescent Beach for a while, and then I texted Terry and I said, are you home? I think she was home. It was a reading week, I think. And, uh, but we just kept our usual rhythms, as I was mentioning before. So my wife became my third and most incredible conversation partner of the morning. Well, then that evening, it was lead team. And part of me knew that. I was like, I need, I'm gonna be meeting with the lead team tonight. Something's going on, I need to pay attention to it. So in the following days, it became clear that I needed some sort of a break. 
uh, Scott McTaggart, who you all know and love, is now on his sabbatical. I knew that was coming. I wanted him uh, to not have my unhealth or my whatever was going on in me to jeopardize his ability to go and take a break. And so there was some urgency. And so um, I met with lead team, met with a few uh, folks from the lead team, and they said, what do you need? I said, wow, that's a great question. And I, think I, I said, I think I need a little bit of time off. And so they said, okay, I take it. So I took the entire month of March uh, away. And I, friends, I was asking significant questions. Um, we've been at this work for about 12 and a half years. I'm like, am I done? Or am I just burned out? Or something in between. My therapist said, you really got two priorities. One, rest, 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 recover, trust that process. Two, try to get as much clarity as you can about where you're at. And so it was interesting to notice how those two intentions lived within my body. Um, so I'm trying to trust that process of rest and recovery, and at the same time, I'm trying to figure something out. <laughs> so it was really difficult and interesting to just sort of notice how that was. So I really tried to honestly lean into that rest and recovery process, to plan things, to put things in my calendar that would be restful, digitally, socially, physically, whatever it happens to be. But then always to have my, my journal and my phone close at hand because if something got stirred up, I could unburden myself by getting it down on paper, or at least in a digital sort of format, in a notepad. And so, um, speaking of that, I, I wanna share a bit of my journal with you. On the very last day of my break, I wrote some things that also I don't really share too often on a Sunday morning. Um, it's about April 1, I was kinda coming back, I was in church a day or two after that, and here's what I wrote. Now, let me just preface this by saying, please don't live tweet any of this stuff. <laughs> if anyone's watching from, don't take it out of context. Um, listen to the full statement of what I'm about to say. So here's my journal. Here's another unpopular statement for a preaching pastor to make. I'm not really in love with scripture right now. You heard me say I didn't really love my job right now. Not in love with scripture right now. I rarely cracked open my Bible this entire break, and that's actually felt freeing. Should a preacher preach if they don't love the text? I do, however, love Jesus more than ever. I especially love the way folks of color and women in particular are teaching me to read scripture and to understand Jesus. But the way a lot of the church, that's capital C Church, has read the scriptures through history has led to some terrible fruit, to say the least. And this has caused me increasing levels of anxiety as the person at our church who is most responsible to teach scripture. I can't do it as much as I have been. And yet here's the tension. I think we, both Big C Church and Artisan, need to find a way to learn to love the Bible again. This is a big part of why I was so driven to have us preach the lectionary this year. That way, selfishly, I'd always have a gospel text, a Jesus text to settle into. I'm not afraid of scripture or God or Jesus. I am afraid of what many Christians have done with them. I hate it, in fact. 
A lot of what's in me, a lot of the time, simply wants to distance myself from it. Being part of the solution of changing the culture, as indeed I think we, I at Artisan, have been trying to do since day one. We've been at this work 12 and a half years. Has it changed? Is it changing? Well, we left our denomination, so I'd call that change. But being part of the solution sometimes feels too hard. For me, anyway. I don't, I don't know what to do about that. So there you go. Um, I am really grateful to say, just unfinished thoughts there, there's things that are still percolating, but I'm grateful to say I emerged from that break in a different place. Rested, largely recovered, a clear sense I'm not done but I need change. And so one of the most concrete ones is that I need to not preach more than once a month. I've been carrying roughly a 40 to 50% teaching load for the past three years, which is twice as much as my sweet spot of about once a month, which I was doing for the five previous years to that. I told the lead team and they said, okay, make that change. It was that simple. I said, even with Scott going away for four months? I said, yeah. What help do you need from us to fill the gaps? Guys, this story is as much a testimony to the wisdom and the compassion and the resilience and the relational quality of our lead team members. I need to just testify to that. So some of you are here. Carrie, bless you. Paul is up with the kiddos this morning. Uh, Scott's here. Who else? Chelsea's flying to Paris. Peter is somewhere in the world. I don't even know who else. Yes, Carrie and, and Tim. Yeah, brother. So this has taken effect already. Uh, when I came back in April, I preached one time in April. I did another one of these hosting things. It's different. It takes a different kind of energy. But it's one of the reasons we're not having a full lectionary-based sermon today and why we've been experimenting a little bit more in the teaching moment with story and with spiritual practices. We want this to be a transformative moment. Whatever happens in the preaching time, it doesn't have to be preaching, teaching, perhaps. Maybe. Maybe it can be something else. Next week, I think Audrey is gonna host a Lectio Divina type of Sunday. So just trusting you all, in part, to hold this in-between season with us, with me. We haven't yet hired a new lead pastor. You all know that. You also know one of our full-time pastors who preaches regularly when he's here is away on sabbatical. You also know we have incredible preachers in our midst who are not staff, but who aren't always available. So the question is often, if you can't do it, why can't we get whoever it happens to be? And we try sometimes, and they're saying good no's as well to say yes to the better thing. They're listening well to their own capacities and not saying yes to too many things. So there's a lot more to my story, but we have to hear some more stories. So thank you for listening. I just wanted to share a little bit about the last few months and as we're listening to our lives as a church to hopefully open some space for some of y'all to have some courage to share. So this slide's still up. Hopefully you've been, had a little bit of margin to percolate and think about what you might offer. But is anyone ready? I'll, I'll bring the mic to you and uh, we'll have some more stories. Anyone ready? That's a good word. Thank you everybody for sharing. I, um, 
it, it was, it's beautiful to experience a story share quite a morning like this and to watch all the nods go around in the room. And it's like, if, if nothing else, uh, hearing people's stories helps you feel that you're not alone, right? What if that's the work that the Spirit wanted to do among us today? And to plant some seeds of perhaps some hope, perhaps a sense that, oh, oh, I'm not alone in this particular grief or this particular loss or this particular season where it just seems unrelenting. And what does it mean to sort of look for resurrection amidst uh, all of that? As we transition to the table, I wanted to read again our lectionary text, just a couple of verses from the John 14, where Jesus is speaking. He's telling his disciples, he's toward the end of his time on earth. And he's saying, all of this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I think stories can have that effect too. Spirit works in them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not always answers to the why questions. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. One of my favorite quotes from the last several months is this one by a guy called Jonathan Puddle. He said, listen to your body, listen to your conscience, listen to the Holy Spirit. These are not strictly the same thing, but the Venn overlap is strong. Is that good? You all know what a Venn diagram is? It's one of those where there's circles overlapping in the middle part. That's the Venn overlap, just in case we're not clear. I love this, and I've been sharing this with people all over the place. I would add to, to your body, but also listen to the body as we've been listening to stories now. Um, th these are important moments to lean into. So may God help us in this. Thanks for holding space for our stories this morning.